live from the front steps of the White House, because apparently just anyone can waltz in there these days. This is Political Risk. Welcome to Political Risk, episode 12. I'm saying that with a fair degree of certainty. Well, the uh, the audience will be the judge when yes. they see the number posted next to it. And when they say, hang on, no, I'm pretty, this sounds like the first one. <laughs> These guys can't possibly have done this before. Anyway, Aaron Manabak, how are you? I'm well, Stephen, yourself? Very well, thank you. Good. And with us is Grant Romley. Mm-hmm. Nice to be here. Thanks Welcome. for having me, guys. Yeah, Thanks so much for having us. Grant, uh, Grant is a, uh, an expert on... Uh, Internal Palestinian political dynamics. At uh, the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Also trying to break into the White House occasionally. It's a pretty, it's, it seems to be up there with running and cycling in the list mm-hmm. of DC uh, yeah. <laughs> so, hobbies. I've, I've got to, sorry, I've got to tell this story. This happened, I think, within the first three or four months of me moving to DC many years ago. I was out with a group of interns from um, the Think Tank, where I was also interning, and we were walking by the White House, it was very late. And there's another group of guys, and they're kind of shouting at each other. And all of a sudden, one guy goes booking past us, jumps at the White House fence. This is in Lafayette Park. Scrambles over the, scrambles up to the top. Is kind of perched on top, and his friends are chanting, "Jump, jump, jump!" And he jumps over the fence. But by the time he lands, completely passed out, and there's this huge <laughs> dart sticking out of his ass. <laughs> the dude had been tranquilized. So hard, he, like in in the in the fraction of the time that I'm sure it's a combination of alcohol too, but the time that he fell, and this totally was, out. This was when 2006. Wow, things have really gone downhill since then. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've always imagined that job to go to the guy who most wanted to channel Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he's got the safari, <laughs> and, uh, he's just in the bushes, and he's wearing a bull moose party sticker. <laughs> Just looking for anything that he could possibly <laughs> anything, anything you know, like pass out. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's probably got an Australian accent too. <laughs> you gotta hope. Um, maybe a war, like a walrus moustache. Be ideal. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, from that hilarity, uh, we took a straw poll before pressing play and uh, and record, and decided that we're going to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about what's going on in Gaza and. Uh, uh, and I guess probably some internal Palestinian dynamics as well, since we have Grant with us. Um, let me just sort of recap what's going on, and then we can we can discuss it. So you have sort of three main main currents going on. You've got uh, people meeting right now in Cairo to pledge people. Governments meeting in, in, uh, in Cairo as we speak to pledge money for the reconstruction of Gaza. Going into this, Rami Hamdallah, the, P, the Palestinian Authority's prime minister, Said that they were going to need what was it, three point eight billion? Uh, estimates has ranged between five and eight billion, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the so, U.S. estimates have been a little more conservative. All right, so we've been lowballing it. <laughs> well, so far the U.S. has pledged two hundred twelve million, the U.K. thirty one million, the EU writ large five hundred plus. Qatar, no surprise, one billion. UAE twelve dollars of which will actually <laughs> yeah, eventually right. arrive. That's yeah. the greatest thing about pledging. Yes, right. UAE twenty million. Turkey, two hundred million. Although I'm sure none of that will go. Um, so I mean, you know, we're looking here already at, at over over three billion. So far short of what will be needed. But 
probably the, the sort of absolute number I think I have that will actually be delivered. Uh, we've got the, the Palestinian Unity Government finally actually taking some form in Gaza. Uh, although right now, I don't really think you might have some insight, Grant. I don't really know who's actually in control of the borders, yeah. which I know is a big, a big issue. Neither do they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, we've got what Mahmoud Abbas is trying to do at the UN, um, which is essentially get the UN to sanction a, uh, uh, a program for Palestinian statehood with a timeline based on very specific uh, guidelines. Uh, they need 10 members of the Security Council right now. I'm told they have nine. Mm-hmm. France is on the fence. Um, Classic French position. <laughs> um, and so we've got those three things going on. And, you know, I mean, obviously you've got the regional dynamic because you've got a lot of governments getting involved in the reconstruction of Gaza. Um, but this is really sort of playing out, I would say, probably according to the wishes of four different actors, Egypt, Palestinian Authority, Hamas, and, uh, and Israel. I'll, I'll, I'll put this out there. Um, as the money gets pledged for Gaza, uh, you got to look at who's actually going to be doing the reconstruction, who, who's, who's going to be administering it, right? And you've got, I think, sort of two sides laying up here. You've got... You've got Egypt, and you've got the Palestinian on one side, and then you've got Israel and Hamas on the other side. Israel and Hamas want this thing to be done quickly, cleanly. Um, if it's done that way, Hamas is going to, you know, be able to to sort of sell the Gazans on, you know, even though the the unity government is bad, that they're still the ones sort of making this happen. Um, and Israel just wants calm restored as quickly as possible. So. International tension gets taken away from it. Security improves. Um, and Israel can go back to sort of more of a, a normal life that they had prior to the last flare-up. Um, and then on the other side, like I said, you've got um, Egypt and the PA who probably want this done a little bit more slowly um, because they recognize that the more this plays into Hamas's favor, the less it plays into their own. Um, and I think they're probably learning or looking to exert more control over the long term and so the longer that this reconstruction gets stretched out, the, the more opportunities they have to, to reestablish their um, their presence there. And so, uh, I don't know, with that, I'll kind of open it up. But Sure, sure. Well, I think you're referencing uh, uh, Avi Asakharov's article yeah. this morning in the Times mm-hmm. of Israel. Um, and and it, he essentially says that uh, Israel sees the PA as sort of a strategic enemy here. And I, I still think that's a bit nearsighted. Um, especially uh, just given the past six months here, um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think for Abbas there are probably three objectives here, and they're almost triaged. If he gets one, he won't pursue the others. But um, he wants first and foremost as much money as possible coming out of this reconstruction. You know, it's it's cream, baby. Cash rules everything around me. Uh, they want as much as they can get. They will. They will. Uh, reaffirm their national consensus government like they did you know, two weeks ago uh, because they know that there's nothing donors like more than giving to the Palestinian Authority and not giving to Hamas. That's a very serious and legitimate concern. I think the, the, the next one is the Security Council draft resolution he's proposed. And I think, uh, I think Abbas sort of views this last push at the UN as not his last push. Certainly, that's a bit morbid and and um, and 
and obviously a weird way to look at it for him, but I think he's sort of launched this campaign that if it doesn't work now with all they've done, all the lobbying they've done, the meeting with EU ministers and Ramallah constantly, every almost every other day, um, the rallying in Latin America and whatnot, I think they, they see that if they can't get a draft resolution, at least floated or, you know, standing up to the prospect of an American veto, then they're never really going to get the the international community as involved in the conflict as they'd want to. And so the the periphery to that plan or the secondary uh, uh, to that plan is that if this draft resolution fails, which it probably will, uh, is to have either France or they've even talked about Russia, have someone host um, an, an international conference. And, uh, you know, when I was there a couple months ago, I interviewed a couple PLO leaders on this, and they bill it as, like, their Geneva conference. They want to hold an international conference and reevaluate the parameters through which, you know, the world looks at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, and I think I think this is all just a gen, general shift towards uh, multilateralism or unilateralism, depending on how you view it, uh, from the Palestinians. They're trying to get the international community to really buy in and with everything right. going on in the region. Israel has always had America on its side. Palestinians have had really nobody. Mm-hmm. This is their, their hedging. Well, there is, I saw, um, a scheduled, uh, it's a non-binding vote, but a vote in the British Parliament. I think this is... On the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, I, I'm not, I'm not very well versed on, uh, the, the parliamentary system, but I'm, I'm told it's uh, in the lower house from the back row. Uh, backbench, yeah. Backbench, guys, yeah. So I, you know, <laughs> I barely understand, uh, you know, Congress in the U.S. Palestine, yeah. Yeah, Britain, right. It's a bit arcane. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, well, you mentioned, sorry, you mentioned two, two, two objectives. Well, you mentioned three. You've you've given us two. They want no, no. They want to. They want to get the money, or they want to go, and they, or they want to go oh, get okay. this draft resolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and at the end of the day, um, this comes into. Um, how you read Hamas and how you read Abbas. Um, and, and the moves that Abbas has been making to me suggest that he's a man still looking to leverage his way into more serious negotiations at a certain point. He's been fed up with them and frustrated with them. It was noted in February he gave up on them completely. Um, but they've said certain things like, we'll postpone this, this vote until after the U.S. midterms. Or we'll postpone this until after the Gaza Reconstruction Conference, and we know that it's almost like we know you're busy with ISIS right now, but we're willing to mm-hmm. postpone mm. this debate to another time. I think they're looking to seriously leverage their position. Right. No, I, I, I think I wouldn't disagree with that, and I would say right now he's he's got a he's in a good situation time wise, right? I mean, the Reconstruction can kind of drag on, gives him a lot of time to work the UN. Um, well, and he can probably. Rightly assume that Israel will slow the slow the reconstruction down, at least to the extent that they will want to have control over materials coming in. Right? They well, don't that's want, the, 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 they, with everything that happened with Hamas, they're not going to want construction well, yeah, materials. No, I mean coming they, in, they, yeah. they 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 will be screening that stuff pretty closely, but that stuff has already been flowing. Oh, that really? stuff has been coming in before the money was pledged. Okay, yeah, that started already. I'm I'm curious on this draft resolution. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, I mean, the PLO has you know has leaked a fair amount of the details on this. You know, a three-year time horizon based on the well, 67 we have the borders. Re- we have the draft resolution. Oh, we have the yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We we have a leaked version of it. Um, I don't want to steal your thunder. No, no, here, no. But um, it's it's essentially the Clinton parameters with the right. timeline. Right. That's the thing. It's it's based on what America has 
especially under the Obama administration, has already basically agreed to, has already sort of put out. I mean, you know, before Obama, I don't know if 67 lines would have made it in this draft resolution, but with Obama endorsing those, they're now in. Mm -hmm. um, and so my, I was thinking about this. I'm not entirely convinced that the 10 members of the UN Security Council who might support this and a large chunk of the non-Arab or Islamic countries in the General Assembly who would support this would be okay with the resolution as it's written. My guess right now what's going on is lobbying from a number of different countries to change what the draft resolution will look like, to change the draft. Um, because I think there's a bit of a threat to the international system by pursuing this. It's a, if not a threat, at least based, at least a, a turning away from how this stuff has been handled, um, because this is basically the UN contradicting itself. I mean, it's it's had many resolutions that have affirmed that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict should be settled in direct negotiations between the two parties, right? And I understand why Abbas has been frustrated with that and is looking to do this, you know, unilaterally, multilaterally, whatever, but basically without Israel. Sure. Um, and I understand that a lot of countries uh, are probably very tired of this and just kind of want to see it go away and this might be a very convenient easy way to do that um, but the implications here of a complete reversal of UN policy um, I think is probably fairly significant for for a lot of a lot of sort of seasoned diplomats who view this international structure as critical to the functioning of you know geopolitics and so I you know I I'm going to guess that if a, draft, if a resolution gets passed on this, it will be. It may include these conditions. It may include, you know, the, the, these parameters. But they might be couched on some, you know, some some conditions. Um, well, I'm 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 going to guess that it doesn't get passed uh, in in any capacity. You don't think uh, so? No. Yeah, I think I think the U.S. will uh, exercise the veto um, if it if it comes out that they're going to get ten votes on this, and and I think that's. Uh, I think that's also probably the consensus within some of the upper echelons of the Palestinian leadership. The Security Council for them um, plays almost a symbolic role, um, and they've they've floated this idea in the past. In 1999, when Oslo was ending, Arafat sent Nabil Shath and Saeb Arakat uh, to Europe to sort of give a get a pulse check on what it be. You know, the five-year Oslo period was ending. It was May 1999. There were elections coming up in Israel. There was a lot of uncertainty, and essentially. Clinton told him at the time, like, don't go unilaterally. Even Dennis Ross went to Europe himself and started counter-lobbying. He was like, don't go unilaterally, don't go to the UN, don't go to the Security Council. And this was sort of like the beginnings of, you know, a year, a year and a half later, Camp David. It's like, I'll get you back to the table. And then even in 2011, when they were talking about this campaign, this 2011 or 2012, there was a huge debate within within Fatah, within the uh, the Central Committee of the Revolutionary Council, between the, the PLO, like all these all these higher up levels of do we go to the Security Council first or do we go to the General Assembly? And the pragmatists say go to the General Assembly because, you know, they won 138 to 9. The quarter world opinion, they understand that that's their, that's their really one of their few areas of strength. Security Council, you've got the veto and you're not going to, you're not going to get past it. You're not going to impose a unilateral, uh, declaration on, on Israel for a timeline or something like that. So this is, uh, to me, of the school of thought that's a little more symbolic. This is a big gesture here. This is get a Security Council draft resolution and we can show people back home that we were fighting this on the highest level that we could, um, but that we couldn't get it farther because of the U.S. veto. 
I think I think some of this is 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 uh, is obviously playing to that to that school of thought. Interesting. Essentially, it just seems like the the divergence is even greater. The court of world opinion is more firmly, I think, in the Palestinian mm -hmm. court than than ever. Mm -hmm. And these uni unilateral, um, yes, the Swedish. Well, this, yeah, this is why mm -hmm. you see them pursue that. They they're, yeah. they are actively calling on countries to recognize the state of Palestine. Right. Um, you know, and then they realize that that's where they can lobby. And and you know, this is an idea that's been floated with them for for decades. It was uh, 1969. Uh, General Tito of Yugoslavia. If I have that right, he he took the Palestinian delegation aside, and he said, "That's right, he did." He said, "You guys should you guys should look at going to the UN, like all these all these states that have broken from their colonial entities, going to the UN for recognition." This is a, this is the UN has always played this sort of perma plan B in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. If if talks break down, there first if the resistance breaks down, if we have to go to talks and those break down, the UN has always been our plan B. We can always go back to it. We have the world opinion. And I think what we're seeing now is a genuine shift where it might become the plan A. Uh, but again, that goes back to what you read of Abbas and his decision making process. Yeah, it's interesting. As as you were breaking that down for us earlier, I was thinking, all right, so just how corrupt is he? Abbas. Right. <laughs> I mean, we know he's extremely corrupt, but how you know how extreme? If if he's if he's if he's looking for the money and he's willing to take the money and you know and, and sort of give up on actually getting real change through the UN, how much of that is is you know the the desire to really? I mean, cause these guys sit pretty. You've been throughout. Oh, yeah. You've been throughout the West Bank. I've been throughout the West Bank. Are we playing the Wu Tang Clan? Cash rules everything <laughs> around me in the background during this because we should during this segment. Uh, you know, look, I think I think Abbas is a lot like like Arafat in a sense that um, he might not show overt displays of wealth, um, and it might not look from you know an outside observer that he's making a lot of money, but um, those around him are getting oh, rich. Oh, it's amazing. And and you know, part of the allure with Arafat and 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 I talked with many Palestinians about this and, and a lot of my friends I was how can you you know support someone who was arguably one of the most corrupt officials and they were like look when he died they went to his closet and he had three of the military fatigues he had those same outfit you know that that's all he had he gave everything else to the Palestinians I was like, well he gave everything else to his money mans and his bag man and everything and and but and, they and were Palestinians were, so. right so <laughs> uh, and so you know with with Abbas it's it's really a little bit more uh, uh, institutional in a lot of ways. I mean, look at look at folks within the the consensus government. Um, you know, I won't I won't name specific names, but guys who you know are <clears throat> perhaps the deputy prime minister who are also running uh, the largest investment funds mm -hmm. uh, there, who are now also lobbying for all this donor aid. Um, you've got specifically two guys on the Fatah Central Committee who could arguably both be well, one's in the consensus government, one's on the Central Committee, who uh, could arguably both be going for the top spot. Um, in the couple of coming years, and they're also lobbying for donor aid. Now, they're both within Fatah, and they're both close to Abbas. What's the point of competing with each other for donor aid? What's to drive, you know, to drive as much as you get up and, and whatnot? So, yeah, this is, and this gets into another thing. Like, if you're going to reconstruct Gaza, you have to, uh, from the international community standpoint, um, reevaluate who's administering that. And, mm -hmm. and the PA is, is incredibly corrupt um, on so many levels. And so you've got to sort of, reorganize and regroup how that aid is going to be disseminated because um, someone's going to get a French villa out of this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. Well, in some areas, yeah. in some areas, sea villas too. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yep, jolly good. We will uh, take a quick break and come back. So.
and we're back to gobble about turkey. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow. Thank you. He just high fived. Yeah, Stephen just high fived himself. High five like a million times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually a little disappointed that uh, that the non-Yank got to that Thanksgiving turkey pot yeah. before. We well, had, ah, you know. that does bring us to another bit of breaking news, which is that on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., I become oh, yes. an ex-non-Yank. Wow. Well, and a current Yank. Yes, you're going to be straddling the 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 the, the Yank lineage. Be bestriding the Atlantic like a <laughs> colossus. Does this involve you marching around the White House with a sign that says 1812? I'm very sorry. No, I will never apologize for that. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> there are a lot of paintings in there. <laughs> that was actually the theme of my bachelor party. Was, Let's burn this town to the ground again. Um, <laughs> Dolly Madison just running around. <laughs> 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 you know? uh, her name yeah, was we, Beverly. We dressed my, my friend Alex up. So. Yeah, um, yeah, so... Expect uh, expect my future pronouncements on these things to change radically as I. Mm-hmm. You know that's my favorite part of that story was that James Madison, when that was all going on, actually manned a musket and got with the troops and laid a couple of volleys in. You know, you never would have seen mm-hmm. George III with his oversized tongue. You know, going to the front <laughs> lines. Right. Yeah, I think he would have detracted from the <laughs> yeah, effort. <bro>. So. <laughs> you know. The fewer guys with perfumed wigs that you have on the front lines, I think. Well, well, so what? Monarchs, what, so, yeah. what is your <laughs> yeah, that one's going as well. <laughs> what is your contribution to America going to be after you say the other? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's time for me to really pick up my rap career again, yeah. I think. Yeah, that is happening. I think what what hip-hop really needs is someone with real identity confusion and a bizarre kind of Anglo-American accent. Yeah. yeah I and something to be. prove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You need to also take back the One Direction boys. Like, yeah, need to, they need to be taken back. That needs to be something you have to do. What? Yeah, okay, but just leave us with Robbie Williams. You want Robbie Williams? Yeah, like yeah Robbie, Robbie Williams. Williams is great. No, no one's going to fight you on that yeah. one. The great thing about Robbie Williams is that he's not popular in America, but he's wildly popular in every other country in yeah. the world. Like, he's coming to Israel now, and it's already, like, sold out. Is show. that true? Yeah, he's coming to Israel when? In nice. a couple of months here? I don't, I don't know. I saw it all over all over my, my feed. Lady Gaga was just there. Yeah, boy. Rihanna, too, a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, that's know? right. She was just on her Offend Everyone in the Middle East tour. Bieber made his, uh, I don't know if it was his, well, it was his first, I don't know if it was his only, but he played his show when I was living there. I rode the elevator with him. That's a man you need to be sending to all the world's diplomatic mm-hmm. hotspots. Yeah, ideally without a security detail. <laughs> um, now, I believe... We were going to... We were going to talk about Turkey. We are going to talk Turkey. Right. There's a lot to talk about Turkey, and we want to take it out of the context of ISIS <clears> and just say, look, based on what Turkey is doing, are they still... You know, is, is it smart to still have them in NATO? Is it smart to, to still be giving them annual foreign aid? Is it smart to be selling them? Basically, our most advanced weaponry that we sell to anybody. Um, is it smart to, to line up with them? Um, we can probably do this in one word, right? Right. No. That would be my answer. Yeah. Well, look, I think I think um, I'm I'm not sure how realistic it is to kick them out of NATO, um, but I think I think by threatening it, we certainly want to make them reevaluate some of their uh, you know decisions. Mm-hmm. We'll put it that way over the past couple of years here. Um, but you know, on the on the other hand, I mean, if we do kick them out, where do we film the Taken movies? I mean, that's it's <laughs> a good point. Look right. He's he, he's got to break some neck somewhere, all right. <laughs> and Istanbul is just sexy, no matter how you it, cut it, it yeah, all right. Yeah. 
And Skyfall was filmed there. I mean, look, yeah, but I, we've done, I, that I was going to say. Now we've done Bond in Istanbul. Like, yeah, that's do we point. need him anymore? Yeah. I don't know. That's now fair. we've had Daniel Craig riding a motorbike across the top of the Grand Bazaar. Because yeah. like, yeah. those, those roofs are sturdy. And they can yes. support a motorbike. Two yes. motorbikes. <laughs> motorbikes <laughs> and those pecs as well. Mm. Quite, <laughs> quite remarkable, isn't it? A lot of push-ups. Well, well good God. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a perennial. I mean, you know, it's, it sort of parallels the conversation that's been had in Europe about Turkey for a long time, mm-hmm. which is where do these guys, where does a increasingly... Is you know Islamic, Islamic, uh, well, I mean Islamist government, right? Yeah. You know, fit within the you know within this context. M- you know, my I mean, w- watching them for the last you know, having watched them from the perspective of working on Iraq, although they did some good work behind the scenes, they were one of the biggest spoilers for sort of right. kind of diplomatic right. work there. Erdogan, Erdogan to me is acting sort of um, like the guy who gets you know. The, the the prom date of, of his of his life you know he gets the, he gets the prom queen um, and then she goes home with the football quarterback you know the Arab Spring starts he gets Morsi you know he's super pumped about this he's got his Econo Islamist approach to it you know mm-hmm. he's like here we go um, and then Morsi gets booted um, and he's uh, he's all about you know he's not into that girl CCS Morsi no he's he's all against her uh, and he's sort of lashing out here. And I, I really think it's reprehensible what he's doing um, vis-a-vis the U.S. and Kobani um, and, and the Kurds and, 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 and whatnot. Hamas. Yeah, well, certainly with Hamas, but, but even on its own, the actions with Kobani and, and what is sure. likely going to happen. I mean, well, those, th- those are all sort of detrimental to not just U.S. policy, but to regional stability, Yeah, you know, to sort of, you know, anti-genocidal type, mm-hmm. you know, activity. I mean, all this stuff, right? Yeah. But it's... It's not just that for me. I mean, look, it's you get good and bad with every ally, right? But Britain. it's, it's yeah, right. except yeah. yeah, you get the good, and then you get well, Stephen Wicken. You get, yeah. you get Robbie Williams. Uh, you know. you I shut was, your mouth right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Williams is so it's, it's two against one in this room. It right? Just there just may not be the same calculations about <laughs> good and bad on, on both sides. Um, you know, but then there's actually. There's, I, I feel like there's actually some active anti-U.S. policy in Turkey as well. I mean, look, oh, yeah. we're, you know, Turkey has a stake in, the, in, in what's going on um, in Syria and Iraq uh, with ISIS, and they know they're critical to a successful, you know, sort of Western action, and they're dragging this thing out, and they're trying to create a condition in which whatever action ends up being taken opens opens up opportunities for them to affect the Kurdish dynamic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it's coming at, at a great cost. It's coming, it's coming at an incredible cost. And it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's very upsetting to me, quite clearly. Yeah. You didn't have to call the cops. <laughs> it's not unusual for in a situation like this to try and turn something like this to your advantage. But something about the optics of seeing the Turkish army, you know, literally standing at the mm. border watching horrific things happen, and something about how naked, sort of, the calculations with regard right. to their own Kurdish issue is, and I hate even calling it the Kurdish issue because it's you know, that makes it sound as though it's a you know, strategic rather than a human right uh, situation. Well, but the, the point you're making, which is true, is that for Turkey this is a strategic yes, issue, it's absolutely. not a human one. Absolutely. Um, but it just makes it, there's something about that that really kind of stings. No, absolutely. Um, and you would like to think that we could recognize that Turkey needs 
us uh, almost as much, if not as much, as we need them. Right. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't know that that is how calculations are being made. No, it, it doesn't appear so. I mean, look, it's you know, there's there's enough, there's a, a strong enough of a belief in, in you know in U.S. government that we still need Turkey. Mm. They're not going to be kicked out of NATO. We're probably not going to end or even condition any of our aid. The event sales will continue. Um, you know, but there are people in this town and, and elsewhere that are at least trying to raise the cost of that policy, um, or at least sort of bring the issues more out into the open about what that cost is. Or at least accidentally say them during an event at Harvard. Right. And then pretend that you didn't. Right. Um, um, we can edit that part out, right? <laughs> never. Um, all of that said, if Kobani falls and Turkey suddenly has a however long that border is with ISIS, I wonder what that will change about their calculations. They seem to be well... I mean, they don't it's seem, happening yeah. and they don't seem yeah. to be concerned. But when it's... Yeah. You would like to think that that would make a difference. I mean, Turkey is in a tough spot here. There's no good policy for them on this. I think they're... That's true. I think they just recognize that this thing is going to take a long time to play out and they feel like being in a hurry would be disadvantageous in mm. terms of figuring out what it is that they're going to do. You know, I mean, they're pushing for the, um, the no-fly zone, they're pushing for the humanitarian corridors. I mean, these things would be hugely expensive and a large operation. It would break all sorts of promises the president has made to the U.S. public, and it, I, I, mean, I just don't see it happening. But I, I think basically until, until Turkey knows what the U.S. is going to do, until it's sort of well-established what the U.S. And, and, and what other countries are going to do, Turkey is just going to kind of sit on the sidelines and, I don't know, go along with the flow. You show me yours and I'll show you mine. Mm -hmm. I like to imagine Erdogan saying that directly, <laughs> possibly to Joe Biden. Anyway, yes, uh, <laughs> let's take another quick read. And finally, a game that we like to call Where in the World is Kim Jong-un? White House. <laughs> He's on the front steps of the White House. <laughs> it's as good a guess as any. So mm -hmm. it's it's how long now that he's been... Uh... 38 days? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But who's counting? Yeah, boy. Who's yeah. counting? I mean, as far as he's concerned... How many hours, Grant? He's always known more Yeah, boy. That's tough math, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I first, with the Robbie Williams calendar you have on your wall, you haven't been <laughs> yeah, it's exiting out the dates. It's from 1998. I'm just waiting for the, the cycle to repeat itself. <laughs> then it'll be relevant. And then and then who's laughing? Yeah. All right. Well, I, I guess I like to imagine him on sort of a uh, all Pyongyang tour of uh, of basketball sites with Dennis Rodman. You know, maybe just alley ooping it. Well, so the the NBA just I think just wrapped up its uh, its, its global preseason program. Cleveland and, and Miami played in Brazil. Yeah, that's the Spurs right. were play, Spurs played actually in Turkey, and before that they played in. So yeah, I mean maybe they're just maybe, maybe he's just out there taking in some games. Boy, yeah, I mean maybe he also just got an Xbox and just got Halo. <laughs> just, yeah, we remember yeah. how addictive that was. Just like any right. other man, <laughs> he <laughs> just know, hasn't like, been outside. We've but... all been there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, he's just yeah, he's forty days into his Skyrim. <laughs> I mean, there are only so many senior generals you can execute by mortar before you, know, <laughs> you just get bored with it all. <laughs> it's true, unless you have very good aim. You tend to just take them out much more quickly than you were planning. 
find yourself with a lot of time on your hands. Yeah, you could have met a woman. I heard there was uh, there was speculation about some type of uh, yeah. There was. I mean, you know. He's on a beach in, in Mexico wearing like a flowing white shirt <laughs> open at the waist. Well, I mean, I think it's no secret he's got a face for radio. Right, but, but it might be... A, We've been might... trying to get him on the podcast <laughs> yeah, exactly. for months. Open invitation. Well, yeah, we say this every time. Clearly, yeah. just down the road here, we should just go ask him, you know. But it's got to be a personality thing, you know. I mean, that haircut isn't doing it for you, but maybe he's got some good stories of him and Dennis. And it's true. It's doing it for One that. Direction, but it does not appear to be working for him. We, we, you know who we should get in terms of our uh, list of ideal interviewees? We should get Glaston Dainty from the U.S. Cricket oh, Association please. on and see if he knows. Something tells me... They might, we, they might run in similar circles. They do seem like the kind yeah. of guys who would hang out. This is a gentleman who... He's sort of... From what we can tell, what leaks out in the cricket press, which is something Aaron and I follow very, uh, very, closely. very closely, he's on a sort of a bus level when it comes to corruption. Okay, mm-hmm. um, good. Except with the resources that go into cricket in the U.S. So, so it's like a sub bladder, but like a mini version. Yeah, yeah. he's he's taking a large proportion of the twelve dollars in funding that comes from cricket <laughs> okay, in the U.S. Yeah. every year. Which, of course, they were they were pledged a couple million. But yeah, the right. the Qatar had just hasn't hasn't yeah. delivered it. Bunch of pricks. Right. God. <laughs> so the the other possibility is that is he still out there looking for that Malaysian airliner? <laughs> I don't even want to touch that. <laughs> we did. I don't know if we touched it. Well, we did. We we we, we, we touched it with an opening. I think. Yeah. Or whatever. I don't think we actually discussed it. But we're wearing a glove, so it's yeah. He he strikes me as the kind of guy who, when he watches Lost, he thinks it's real. <laughs> you know? like I, Not just that, but he takes the title literally and thinks maybe it's a good idea. It's like, yeah, we can do this. We can we can recreate this. You know, but he cuts out the two South Korean characters because well, of you know, right, right. course, and they can't be involved. No, <laughs> <laughs> this, this this went to a different direction. Well, it sounds like we've uh, we, there are a lot of great ideas in this room. <laughs> I don't know why no one's asking us, but uh, there are a lot of potential uh, I feel, I feel resources like, for the man. I feel like there should be a hashtag campaign for this too. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think the best thing about being a North Korean expert in this town is that you don't have to be right at any point in your career because we literally know nothing about what's going on there. That's you true. That's true. But that is foreign policy expertise in general. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. But I, I mean, but, how, how many respected people in this town got some pretty major policy wrong to the cost of thousands of lives and billions of dollars? Well, I keep my predictions just to football, just uh, just in case, you know, and I'm usually wrong in there anyways. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think uh, I think perhaps a, a bit of the calculus might be that, uh, let's say there is a coup, let's say he's out of power, let's say he's, you know, dead in a, in a basement somewhere. Um, the, the calculation that we're not that worried might stem from the fact that Anybody else but Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il has got to be more sane than he was. Yeah. You know, anyone else within that system has to be on the spectrum of sanity a little bit closer to reasonable. You know, but, you know, instability is never good for a nuclear power. But, no. No. But I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I guess that's why, you know, even the State Department, what was it this morning you were saying, they were like, well, we don't really care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, well, I'll tell you what, uh, that, the country right now that probably cares the most is Japan. Or South Korea as well. Oh, well, that's true. Right. Okay, yeah, no, I tell you that. South Korea cares much probably, more than Japan. Yeah. The that's other country that cares, yeah. that gives some amount of shit, yeah. is Japan, who's working right now to try and improve relations with Pyongyang. So, 
Which means they're just they're just texting him, and he has not. <laughs> his his iMessage is showing that he read it. Right, right. And they're very upset. With <laughs> him. Right, right. It's been sitting there with those three dots for like a month now. Yeah. Yeah. Are you I mean, typing or what? what? The hell? You know, his WhatsApp has got two little check marks, <laughs> but no, nothing's coming back. Um, well, again, a lot of great ideas, guys. Yeah, I think we've done we've done the world some good here. Um, unless anyone has anything to add, no. I think we will say, and it's probably best if they don't, we will say uh, thank you very much to Grant for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been excellent. Um, Aaron, thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Anyone have any Twitter handles they want to mention? No, Grant is a great Twitter follow. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure about that. No, no, no. It's... <laughs> a lot of a lot of great jokes made about Palestinian politics. That does sound. No, it's very good. Sound. It's very good. Follow Grant Rumley. I don't know what's what's your handle. That's uh, Grant underscore Rumley. Okay. He's got the underscore in there. Yeah. Um, Aaron, are you going to be tweeting? No, I won't be. be I'm, well, I'm going to be off Twitter now. Oh boy. I'll, I'll, I'll be following other people's tweeting. Just creeping. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just favoriting everything that moves. Mm-hmm. Good. Crazy bastard. <laughs> uh, I'm on there at SK Wiccan. Um, we don't know what quite what's going to be happening with the political risk Twitter feed, uh, but it may still be a source for jokes in the, in the near future. So hopefully, hopefully. and uh, you can listen to all the episodes uh, on SoundCloud and also on iTunes. Uh, and with that, yeah. gentlemen, thank you very much thank you. and goodbye.